Empty Set Entertainment presents Slay, created by Scott Sigler. This story is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, junkies. Looks like we made it. This is episode 34 of Slay Season 1, the final episode. The story comes to a brutal, brutal finish. There is an epilogue episode, however. That will be episode number 35. Since the story is done, we will do our Slay Q&A episode live on Wednesday, September 6th, 2023. Tune in if you like at facebook.com slash scottsigler, youtube.com slash scottsigler, and twitch.tv slash scottsigler. As always, our live streams are Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Pacific time and 9 p.m. Eastern. You can tune in live and join A Real Girl and I as we answer everybody's questions. As always, our live streams are Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Pacific time and 9 p.m. Eastern time. This grand experiment that is Slay has been quite the adventure. Some things I had planned for season one happened exactly as I hoped, but there were many, many surprises for me. You know, stuff that uh, took the characters and the story in directions I had not anticipated at all. It's definitely a different style of writing for me, but that's what happens when you create the chapter each week and then broadcast it live that same week. Did I mention I was flying without a net for Slay? We got the net up about halfway through the season, and we have the net up for the whole rest of the series, which I will get to eventually, but don't know when I will start writing book two. All right, here we go. Gird your loins. Let's get you caught up on the story, and then we're all going to go gird, I guess, whatever the hell that is, and do not touch my loins. My loins are none of your goddamn business. Previously on Slay, Bobby, Gary Sater, Mercutio, and all the club kids are down for the count, leaving only a badly wounded Lincoln and a battered Kalista to stand against Dante, Oleus Oakbeard, Boss Hogg, and the last of Dante's Miami thugs. Meanwhile, at the Old Stone Church, Billy is trying to free Dragon from the meshwork net that keeps her from attacking Butch and the rest of the Rolling Outlaws. The final battle ends in this episode. And now, the conclusion of Slay Season 1. I say, I say, let him have it! Sword in hand, Lincoln whirled. His cloak flaring, he threw his arm around Kalista's waist and pulled her in just as the Miami Tufts opened up with an assortment of firearms. Shotguns, semi-automatics, and full autos launched a hail of metal across the dance floor. Bullets and slugs sliced through Lincoln's cloak to hammer against his backplate and the armor covering his butt and thighs. The already battered steel and mesh layers fissured and cracked. Dents formed, some deep enough to press into his body. Despite this torrent of death, Despite his armor degrading in real time, despite the pain coursing through him, Lincoln felt Kalista's form against him, felt the slight give of her body as he pulled her tight. Her long red hair smelled like cinnamon and sweat. Her soul smelled of murder and lust. He felt her heat. 
She mumbled something in a language that he didn't understand. The gunfire did not stop, but the impacts did. Her lips, soft and warm against his ear. Release me, my pet. Let us face our enemies together. Kalista's breath sent tingles up his scalp and down his spine. He didn't want to let her go. With one last, mind-bending sniff, he took a step away from her. And the second he did, the overpowering need for her vanished. He turned to face Dante and his hitters. The gunmen continued to fire, their bullets sparking off an almost transparent sheen of white flame that curved around Lincoln and Kalista like a shield. I say, I say, stop firing, you numb nuts! The Miami Tufts did as Boss Hog commanded. All of them immediately reloaded with a speed that spoke of long practice. These eight looked like seasoned hitters. Dante had saved his best troops for last. Hogg still held the grenade launcher in his left hand. With his right, he reached into his jacket and drew a pistol, an all-white Smith & Wesson Model 500 revolver, a hand cannon of a weapon. The barrel alone was over eight inches long. That's a big gun, Lincoln said. Compensating for something? Hogg nodded. Oh, yeah, yes, I am. Compensating for my tiny penis. The rounds in this lovely little darling are mesh-coated and armor-piercing. Might have punched through your armor in one shot even before it was beat. I say, beat to shit. Now, I figure it'll make Swiss cheese of you once your mistress runs out of juice. Your mistress. Was that how Lincoln would go out? As this evil woman's lackey? Dante took a step forward, grinning wide from the thrill of victory. He had won, and he knew it. It seems the red-headed temptress still has some coals moldering in her fighter pit, the goblin said. Olius, can you do something about this? The druid spread his hands. The old gods have smiled upon me. He floated upward, bright green energy sparkling about him, Dark green robes fluttering from some other-dimensional breeze. I get to smite not one, but two lecherous brigands who tricked my little girl. Little? Kalista laughed. A tired laugh, but a laugh all the same. Ophelia is two meters tall, with forty double Ds and a tongue like a buzzsaw. If you leave now, Oakbeard... I won't kill her after I kill you. That was Kalisha's idea of trying to get inside the druid's head. Oakbeard snarled, rose higher, closer to the disco ball still casting moving reflections across the club. His green energy flared in ragged rings, spinning around him like tiny emerald suns moving at the speed of light. I have more power than you dare dream, witch. I have the measure of your mesh. He raised a hand, made a fist, and yanked it backward. Kalista's shield of thin fire ripped away from her like a sheet yanked clear of a bed. The flame dissipated into nothingness. She stood there, 
sweat beating her face and her forehead, matting down her long red locks. She weaved slightly as if the last of her strength might abandon her at any moment. Lincoln leaned in close. I don't think your threat helped very much. Oh, well. Callista raised her sword tip toward Oleus Oakbeard. It was worth a try. His arm still around Money Monday's shoulder, Butch looked at his phone, feeling a tiny thrill of anticipation with each descending tick. 58 seconds. 57 seconds. The guns were still too hot to pick up, but not by much. Even if it burned his hand a little, Butch would use his 9 mil to shoot Billy in his kneecap. He wanted to let that bastard know what it felt like and keep feeling it while Butch had Balake and the boys fill that pajama-wearing bitch full of holes. 51 seconds. 50 seconds. After Billy watched Magda die, Butch would put more holes in him, starting with his feet, then his shins, then wherever it looked like it might hurt the most. Thwoop. That sound again. Butch realized he had heard it before, only a minute earlier, but it hadn't really registered then. Fuck with that sound! Balake was on one knee next to Magda. Did y'all hear that, or am I high? I think I might be high. That sound had come from Billy? Billy, who was face down on the dragon. Billy, whose hands were hidden beneath him. A surging sensation shot through Butch as he realized what was happening. Money, get him off that dragon, now! Butch lifted his arms from Money's shoulders, put his hand against the wall for balance. Money covered the short distance in three steps, smashed his heel down on the back of Billy's head, which bounced off the wire-bound dragon scales. Billy sagged to his right, a short trip aided by Money throwing a pair of hard lefts against his cheek. The dragon shuddered, let out a muffled shriek of pure rage. Get Lil B away from there, Butch yelled. Two rolling outlaws rushed in and helped Money drag a limp Billy away. Butch's breath locked in his chest. He stared at the blood-smeared dragon, at the wire net binding the beast tight. Several strands had snapped. The dragon's black eye locked on Butch, and Butch knew that if that wire didn't hold, nothing would stop that monster from getting him. You told us that net was unbreakable, Money Monday said, his voice far smaller, far softer than usual. Butch could not look away from the broken strands. That's what Boss Hog told me. Uh-huh, Money said. Well, it don't look unbreakable to me. In retrospect, and what a retrospect it was, leaving Billy lying atop the 15-foot-long dragon had been a bad idea. Butch had been so overwhelmed with the church and Billy and magic and Nurple that he had lost the common sense he'd been born with. 
Butch, Money, and the rest of the outlaws stared with dread at the growling dragon. It tried to flex, tried to twist, tried to push, but the net held. Shit, Money said, breathing out a big sigh of relief. We might have got to it just in time. Mida, a few more minutes, a few more strands. Butch really didn't want to think about it. He looked at Billy, who was on his back, glassy-eyed, making the slight movements of someone who's just had the fuck knocked out of them, but isn't all the way unconscious. His hands were like something from a horror movie. Billy had cut his fingers to the bone, literally, while breaking those strands. Lopey is tough, Butch said. I'll give him that. Money nodded. Can't deny it. Whoop. All heads turned to the dragon. At first, Butch could not look past the beast's eyes, eyes that were fixed on him like those of an alligator quietly closing in on prey. Uh-oh, Balake said. Then Butch saw and heard another strand of wire snap. Oleus raised his glowing hands. Power built up within them, blazing and intense. So bright, Lincoln squinted his eyes against the glare. Lincoln stepped between Callista and Oleus. If he could have run, if he could have faded into the shadows, become the shadows, maybe he would have found a way out, a way to survive. But if he ran, Callista was as good as dead and Sam was screwed. As long as Lincoln Franks still drew breath, he would fight for his son. The druid snarled, his exposed teeth reflecting his own emerald light. I will avenge my family honor, he said. I will have satisfaction. From the dark corridor, that led to the club's entrance, came a flash of sizzling, pale pink light. A charged arrow struck Oleus in his side. His built-up mesh energy ripped outward in uncontrolled flares that set whatever they touched ablaze with eldritch fire. One flare licked against the black ceiling. Another splashed on the mirror ball. Another engulfed one of the Miami Tufts, and yet another whipped across Dante's arm. Oleus dropped down fast, stumbling as his feet hit the still-pulsing dance floor. The Miami Tough screamed and ran blindly, green fire consuming him. Dante slapped at his burning arm. Boss Hog, unhurt, turned and aimed both the grenade launcher and his white pistol at the corridor. From that corridor stepped two people, a man and a woman, each wearing dull gray armor and wrapped by a dull gray cloak, their hoods up with a thick band of roiling smoke covering their eyes. The woman held a longbow, the man a panabas, a backward curved blade with a handle almost as long as the blade itself. Well, I say, well, god damn it! 
Hogg said. Dante, we might be in a spot of trouble. Callista glanced at Lincoln. Friends of yours? Dumbfounded, Lincoln nodded. This fight is over, Sophia Franks called out. By the order of the bastion, lay down your arms and mesh or face the consequences. The screaming, running man slammed into a booth and fell to the floor, thrashing and twitching. Dante tore off his flaming tracksuit jacket and tossed it away. Oleus yanked the arrow, now devoid of energy, free from his ribs. Dante clutched his burned arm to his chest. The skin sizzled and bubbled. And he wasn't smiling anymore. Get them, he screamed. Kill them, now! Hogg raised a hand to wave off Dante's words, but it was too late. Lit up by a spinning mirror ball awash in green flame, the seven remaining Miami Tufts opened fire. Big mistake. Sophia and Lucas attacked. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. On a remote island in frigid Lake Superior, a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Magda watched Dragon Thrash fighting against the net, lurching with just a bit more freedom of movement than she had had before. Steam curled from wide nostrils as clawed feet pushed hard against the wire. Throop! Four men panicked and ran to the front door, pulled at the handle, threw their bodies against the wood. They weren't going anywhere. Throop, throop! Throop! Magda stifled a laugh. These home-invading assholes were about to get what was coming to them. Thoop, thoop, thoop. Smooth as silk, Sophia slid her longbow into the folds of her cloak and drew her favorite weapons, a pair of intricately engraved katars. The ancient push dagger's 16-inch-long blades projected straight out from each fist like lethal extensions of her own forearms. She whipped the left blade across the throat of a man still firing AK-47 at her, drove the right blade deep into the heart of another. 
Lucas held the long Panabas handle with both hands, like one would hold an axe. He was young, but already strong, and his form was flawless. He whipped the blade down, severing a Miami Tough's arm, then pivoted, twisting his hips and bringing his shoulders around in a perfect, powerful swing. The wicked blade sliced into a man's stomach, through it, cleaving the spine and cutting him in half. The two pieces of what used to be one person fell to the floor. One of the Miami Tufts ran for the entrance. Another dropped his shotgun, put his hands atop his head. The last pivoted his aim between Lucas and Sophia, not firing at either, perhaps too flustered by the fury of their attack to make up his mind. Lucas Franks made up the man's mind for him. Rip fast, he drew a throwing knife from a belt sheath and launched it. The blade flashed in the flickering light for only an instant before it buried itself handle-deep in the man's forehead. The man blinked, had a moment to look up at the blade, cross-eyed and confused. Then he collapsed. A sudden twang of snapping cables, the flaming mirror ball dropped. It smashed against the dance floor, casting out a shower of glimmering glass and flecks of green fire. More of that same green flame danced across the black ceiling. Lincoln saw the flames move, saw them form a ring of some four feet wide. Oleus Oakbeard shot up into that ring, one hand wrapped around Hogg's wrist, the other around Dante's. The ring of fire shrank behind them the last cradle bat slipping through just as the ring closed. All the green flame in the dance club winked out with a soft pop. Smoke smoldered up from the burned gunman who moved no more. Sophia zip-stripped the wrists of the man who had dropped his weapon and surrendered. Lucas jogged around the edge of the dance floor, eyeballing the dead and the wounded to see if any of them were a threat. Frank's family represent? Calista said quietly. Sister Sophia and Brother Lucas, I presume? And here I thought they washed their hands of you, Lincoln. While that wasn't exactly accurate, it wasn't far from the truth. They haven't washed their hands of my son, Lincoln said. So do him, me, and yourself a favor and keep your mouth shut. I saved you from Dante, but I doubt I can save you from Sophia if you say the wrong thing. And can you please shut off these lights and this steaming donkey shit that you call music? Kalista snapped her fingers twice. The music stopped, as did the strobes and the colored beams. Silence hit almost as hard as the music had. Ceiling lights came on, shone down on the battle's carnage. The club had become an abattoir, the dance floor a butcher's block. So many bodies. Gary Sater sat up, his blood-covered hands still trying to pinch together the long gash across his chest. Mistress, he said, his voice weak, unfocused. I killed a guy with a trident. Kalista limped to him, knelt. You did marvelous, my pet. Her hand flared with ruby-red fire. 
She pressed her palm against Gary's chest, slid it lightly along his wound. I will take care of you, you and Robert and Mercutio. Sophia ran to Lincoln, slipping on the blood-covered dance floor only once. Link, are you all right? Never better, Link said. What are you doing here, sis? How'd you know I was up against it? Dad called us. He said Fianna broke through the window in his room and told me you were in grave danger, shared an image of where you were. Shitbird. Lincoln was still alive because of Shitbird. Amazing. Gary Sater got to his hands and knees, started to stand up. Kalista hurriedly crawled over bodies toward Bobby. Her hands flared with flame as she pressed them to the Minotaur's deep wounds. Sophia leaned close to Lincoln's shoulder, peering at the bloody, ravaged wound to armor and flesh alike left by Veronica Flechette. You need medical attention immediately, Sophia said. We will drive you to the train station, and we can have you at the bastion in 20 minutes, okay? Medical attention. There was only one place Lincoln got medical attention these days, and it wasn't at the bastion. I need you and Lucas to drive me home, Lincoln said. Right now. Drive you home? Big Lucas stormed over. You wouldn't tell us where you live, and now you want us to schlep you there like some taxi service? Lucas had been so calm during the fight but his self-induced rivalry with his older brother was ripping its way to the forefront. I will tell you where it is, Lincoln said. My friends are in danger, and I... More danger than here? Lucas used the panabas to gesture around the club. You're in the middle of a gang war. You are protecting a criminal, a murderer that deals drugs and illegal mesh. How do you think that makes the family look, Lincoln? Lincoln gritted his teeth. His little brother was losing his temper. Again, but there wasn't time for it. Lucas, just shut up and get me out of here. I'm not going to shut up, Lucas said. We're not babysitters, you know. Kalista stood and limped over. Just take him already, she said. Boss Hogg sent a razor-sharp guitar pressed against Kalista's throat. Not there one instant, there the next. This wasn't magic. This was Sophia's pure speed. My brother is no longer a Rixator, but I am, Sophia said. That means I can kill you any time I like. You have my nephew. Lincoln asked us to leave you be, so we have left you be. But if you say one more word, I will slice you from ear to ear. For once, Kalista was left speechless. Lincoln grabbed Sophia's wrist, forced the blade away from Kalista's throat. You kill her and Sam is lost forever, he said. He's all right now, but my friends aren't and I might be too weak to save them from the goons Boss Hog sent. Sophia, Lucas, please, I need you to take me home, right now. Sophia seemed hesitant, 
almost suspicious. Lincoln knew why. He had never asked her for anything. Her or Lucas or their father. All right. Sophia gestured to the dance floor, to the carnage, to the still smoldering Miami Tough. What about all of this? What if that druid and the others come back? They won't, Callista said. Hog is too smart to risk fighting active Rixators. Dante has to get medical attention of his own, and Oakbeard had to have burned through most of his thread. This is my home. I have thread reserves here, and I will be back to full power in short order. If Oakbeard is dumb enough to return on his own, she gestured to Bobby, who was slowly rising to his feet, then we will finish him. Lincoln hoped she was right. He had fought for her. He had kept her alive. But now, he had to do the same for Billy, Ariella, Dragon, and Magda. The car's right out front, Sophia said. I'll drive. Throop, throop, throop. Wires snapped. Billy watched Dragon struggling to escape the net. She almost had her head free. The rolling outlaws ran around like trapped rats. Several pounded on the front door. Billy could see the pale blue thread that kept the door sealed shut. Magda, or Ariella, had fixed whatever damage he had done. The gangbangers were not going to get that door open. There was no other way out that Billy knew of. All of the windows were boarded up from the outside and thread-sealed from the inside. Thoop, thoop. Other outlaws ran into the nave. Butch followed them, hopping clumsily. Each step jostled his ruined knee, making him grunt in pain. Money Monday picked up a pistol off the floor. He hissed, dropped it, but grabbed it up again. He pointed it at Dragon. Die, motherfucker! Money said and pulled the trigger. Die! Just as before, the bullets did nothing to Dragon. Thwoop, 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 thwoop. Dragon's head popped through. The rest of the weakened wire gave way. She lunged at Money, her mouth open wide. Money kept firing, sending three more useless shots down her maw. Dragon bit down on his arms. Money screamed. Dragon whipped her head backward, flinging him through the air. He slammed into Balake. Both men fell to the ground, Money's minced arms bleeding everywhere. Magda calmly scooted away from them. Dragon turned her attention to the four men trying to open the front door. They saw her looking, saw her serpentine body coming their way. They threw their shoulders harder against the wood in a desperate, panicked effort to burst through by will alone. Dragon's long, lithe body shot at them like a striking snake. Her teeth locked down on a man's shoulder. She shook him the way she had shaken her dog toys when Billy played tug-of-war with her, only this man was not made of cloth and stuffing. Billy heard his bones snap. She tossed him away and struck again, 
her jaws locking on the chest of a second man and slamming him hard to the door, even as her talons drove through the eyes of a third man, the tips crunching out the back of his skull. The last man held up his hands, stood there screaming, unable to run. Dragon snatched him up with both front paws. She bit down on his head and she yanked it off. Blood splattered her face, spurted against the wall. She chewed casually as she released the body, his skull crunching with each bite. Dragon scurried away from the slaughter, bloody paw prints marking her path. She ran straight at Billy. He knew he should have been scared. This literal monster had just killed four men and eaten one of their heads, but he wasn't scared. Dragon would never hurt him. Never. The big, wet, warm maw muzzled against his face. She sniffed at him, made whimpering noises. I'm okay, girl. I'm okay. He was far from okay. His hands felt like they were wrist-deep in boiling water. He couldn't bend his fingers. But despite his pain, despite his relative surety, he would die here, on this floor, as the blood of his tormentors flowed across the tiles toward him. He wanted to comfort Dragon. He wanted to make her feel better. Dragon, come, Magda said. Magda was sitting on her butt, her arms around her knees. Billy saw Balake dragging Money Monday through the nave doors. Money sleeves were soaked with blood, torn in spots to show the ragged tooth wounds beneath. He stared dully at his arms, which flopped uselessly, the bones inside them shattered. Dragon nuzzled Billy again, whined again. Girl, get your ass over here, Magda said, louder and more authoritative. Right? Now! Dragon scurried toward her, sinuous body curving with each reaching step. Magda put her hand on the bony ridge above Dragon's right eye, a ridge slimed with the blood of her victims. Good girl! Magda pointed into the nave. Dragon! Intruders! Sick em! Dragon gave a single grunting growl, then ran into the nave. Billy heard men scream, first in fear, then in agony. There was no one left in the vestibule but Billy and Magda. And four corpses, but those didn't really count. Weak from beatings and blood loss, his hands useless, Billy used his elbows to get to his knees, then awkwardly climbed to his feet. He stumbled to the nave doors and looked inside. Ragged jets of fresh blood lined the walls, the floor, and were splashed across the big projection screen. The couch was overturned, the lazy boy on its side. Two men lie motionless, their bodies broken and twisted. Dragon had Money Monday pinned on his back. She bounced up, bent her arms in, then drove her weight down on him straightening her arms as she did, driving her front paws into his chest. Money let out a choked squeal of agony. Dragon bounced up again, drove her weight down again, and this time, Money's chest collapsed in a chorus of breaking bone, 
His last breath slid from his squashed lungs like the sigh of a ghost. Dragon stepped off him, padded toward a man who was on his knees, hands clasped, staring straight up at the ceiling, his big five-head sheened with sweat. Balake, praying in rapid-fire, unintelligible syllables. But even here, in a church, his prayers did not work. Dragon's long talons slashed open his belly, spilling bloody intestines and other important things out onto the rug. Balake opened his mouth to scream, but he had no air. Dragon's claws had shredded his diaphragm. Balake sagged, fell to his side. He opened his mouth, closed it, opened it, like a fish just dragged from the water and dropped into the boat. Dragon found a new target. Long tail twitching, she stalked toward a man hiding beneath the beer pong table. It was Butch. Where was Ariella? Billy didn't see her. Hopefully, she was all right. He felt a hand on his shoulder, and from the touch alone, he knew it was Magda. Together, they watched Dragon creep toward Butch with the confidence and patience of a big cat. Butch seemed calm. Perhaps resigned was a better word. He saw Billy and Magda looking at him. He met their gaze. I know I did you wrong, he said. Any chance you guys can call it off? Magda gave Billy's shoulder a quick squeeze. Yeah, she said. I can call her off. Billy saw hope flare in Butch's eyes, but only for a second before Magda spoke again. But I won't. Dragon, baby, kill. Dragon shot in like a black comet, snatching Butch and dragging him out from under the beer pong table. He wasn't resigned to his fate anymore. He screamed, a deep-throated shriek brought on by long teeth sunk deep into his shoulder. Dragon whipped her head up, lifting Butch high, and snapped her neck down, driving him into the coffee table, launching Magda's purple bong across the room. Up again Butch went, down again Butch went, smashing even harder. Dragon released him, took a few steps away, then coiled up on herself like the world's most lethal ampersand. Her black eyes gleamed with delight. Butch lie there, in the ruins of the coffee table, wheezing painfully, trying to breathe. He coughed up blood. He managed to draw enough air for one word. Help. Maybe he meant to say, help me. Billy would never be sure. Dragon put her front paws on Butch's head. She brought her rear right foot up to his chest, then ripped it down his body ripped it hard, like a dog kicking grass after dropping a poop. She did the same with the rear left foot, the powerful raking motion splattering bits of bush against the projection screen. Then, her right foot again. Then, her left foot again. The long strokes shredded Butch, opened him up and splattered him across the room. Looks like I didn't need to rush home after all. 
Billy turned, sharply, startled. It was Lincoln. Holes in his cloak. His left arm hung limp. Splattery streaks of dried blood running from a ragged tear in his shoulder armor. Visible cracks lined his chest plate. He swayed slightly as if he was on the verge of collapse. Magda ducked under his right shoulder, threw her arm around his waist. And just in time. Lincoln's knees buckled, but she held him up. There's men outside, Billy said in a rush. Two in front, two in back. And there's a few more guys inside here somewhere. Anger percolated in Link's eyes, and Billy knew why. His foolish act had drawn Butch here, had put Magda, Ariella, and Dragon in danger. But anger wasn't the only emotion lurking in that steel-gray gaze. Lincoln Franks looked relieved. The outside guys are being handled, he said. We'll get the inside guys in a second. Later, Billy, you and I are going to have a little talk. You feel me? Billy nodded. Whatever lecture or punishment that Lincoln dished out, Billy would take it. A whistling, gurgling sound drew Billy's attention back into the nave. Butch's remains were more of a bloody streak with chunks of bone than an actual corpse. Dragon stood over the mangled mess, looking down at it, making a noise that was a louder, deeper version of the sound she made sometimes when she, the dog version of her anyway, curled up in Billy's lap while he twirled her ear. It was a happy sound. Dragon pressed the side of her face against Butch's mutilated body. She slid against it, first with her head, then with her long neck, her shoulder, all of her weight pressing down. When she came to her feet again, blood and bits of Butch meat were smeared against her face, her whiskers, her scales. Man, that's nasty, Magda said. Dragon again smushed her face and body across the bloody hamburger that had recently been a human being, spreading it further across the rug, making even more of a mess. She clacked her jaws three times, then picked up a piece of butch, a foot maybe, and flung it across the room. She chased it like it was a toy that had been thrown for her. Uh, Link, Billy said, is, is Dragon playing? Lincoln nodded. Yep. Playing with the bodies of people that she just killed? Lincoln nodded again. Yep. Dragon saw something behind the toppled Lazy Boy. She forgot about the foot and scurried around the chair. She swatted downward. Butch's head skittered across the floor, chunks of torn meat flapping from the neck stub. Dragon chased the head, clacking her teeth in pure joy. Now you know that's fucked up, Billy said, right? I mean, you know that's fucked up. Lincoln gave a sharp whistle. Dragon's head snapped around, her whiskers trembling, her black eyes bright. Butch's head was between her teeth. Intruders, Lincoln said. Who's a good girl? You're a good girl, Dragon. Go get the intruders. Go on, girl, get them. Dragon flung Butch's head aside and scrambled through the door to the kitchen, her curving body leaving a trail of breadcrumbs. If breadcrumbs were drops of blood, bits of flesh, 
and chunks of bone, that was. Where's Ariella? Lincoln asked. She all right? She ghosted, Magda said. Literally. I'll tell you about it later. Man, this place is a mess. That was the truth. Butchered bodies. Blood dripping down the walls and the projection screen. Chunks of bone and meat everywhere, like a giant had sneezed them out. Coffee table turned to sticks and splinters. And the middle of that particular bit of wreckage, like the red yolk of a wooden egg, lie the streak of paste, formerly known as Butch. We can clean it, Lincoln said, with forced enthusiasm. A little Windex, a little elbow grease. Teamwork makes the dream work, right, guys? Magda looked at him. Rumi, we are calling Bingles. Lincoln's smile faded. We can't call Bingles. Why not? Lincoln sighed. Because I told Bingles I would never call him again, and I am not calling him, and that is fucking final. Billy heard the church's front doors open, felt panic rip through him. It's okay, Lincoln said. They're with me. A man and a woman wearing gray armor and gray cloaks walked in, stepping over bodies, glancing at the blood coating the vestibule's tile floor. The guy was Billy's age, maybe a little younger. The woman was older, with an air of well-earned confidence. Sub Sophie, Magda said. Sub Lucas, long time no see. The man sneered. He didn't like Magda, it was easy to see. He didn't like Lincoln, either. And from his narrow-eyed glance, it was clear he didn't think much of Billy. We got them all, Sophie said. We stashed their bodies in that ready bell tower in case anyone walks by. The perimeter is clear. There's no one left outside. You need us to search the place for bad guys? From somewhere in the church, a man's scream echoed, followed by a deep growl and a happy chattering of big jaws. I think that'll take care of itself, Lincoln said. Thank you both. We're safe now. Lucas and Sophie exchanged a glance. Lucas nodded. Well, he sneered, then he nodded. If you're safe, we should be going now, Sophie said. We're technically on duty. Of course, Lincoln said. Uh, But uh, first, introductions. Billy, I want you to meet my brother, Lucas, and my sister, Sophia. Lucas, Sophia, this is Billy Middleton. My friend. You have been listening to Slay, created and read by Scott Sigler. Copyright 2023, Empty Set Entertainment. For more information on the author and more books, visit scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Superweapon. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. 
Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.